One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to our Big Squid Limited series, Space Podacy, a series where comedian Ben Elwood and I discuss some of our favourite science fiction movies. Today is the second part of our podcast with ABC broadcaster Richard Feidler as we continue our look at Alfonso Cuaron's masterpiece, Children of Men. So nice to have you uh, in our company today, and thank you very much for joining us for part two of our special Space Podacy episode with good friend and mentor Richard Feidler. If you haven't listened to the first part yet, I uploaded that one yesterday, so it might be worthwhile going back to that episode first before listening to this one. You'd, you'd still be able to follow this one, but let's be honest. It's it's the second part, so <laughs> check out the first episode. It was fantastic, and you definitely want to just... Get in on this uh, ridiculous argument and, and, and choose a side. Who, who's better, Rocky or Swamp Thing? Who's going to make bigger difference in the real world? And I'll be honest, I feel like the Rocky slander is outrageous. There you go. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, that's why you have to listen to the first episode. Before we return to the discussion, I'd like to give a shout out to our Patreon supporter for the episode. Regardless of which tier you sign up for, everyone receives an episode dedication. And today it is a big shout out to Sarah Hollands. A quick message for Sarah. We had some nice uh, contact this week. Uh, everyone who signs up for the Patreon receives a, a welcoming uh, email from me. There's uh, one written for each person. And poor Sarah, I'd written her one and somehow it hadn't sent... You know, the joys of modern technology. Just when you think you have a handle on something, it buggers up. So even though Sarah joined weeks ago, she only just received her welcoming email and she answered immediately and we had a really nice uh, little bit of interaction and it, it means a lot, Sarah. So thank you not only for your support through the Patreon, but... Uh, 
also thank you for all the kind words that uh, you wrote to me about the podcast. And as an Australian listener, I hope you get a kick out of hearing Richard on this podcast with Ben and me. Okay, it's part two, so we better get to it. Without further ado, let's bring my pals back in for part two of our discussion of the fantastic Children of Men. The ultimate mystery. Why are women infertile? Why can't we make babies anymore? I need your help. Not for me. A girl. She's pregnant. Now you know it's at stake. I need to get her to the coast past security checkpoints. So why did you come to me? I trust you. They want your baby. We have to leave. We're almost there, kid. We're almost there. Children of Man. I do love that the Statue of David isn't complete. I think that is a fascinating uh, little yeah, yeah, yeah. part of they've they got most of it, and it's got this kind of little stick holding it together. I think that the cousin and his collection of these pieces is indicative of what we were just talking about, the commodifier, and, and just the collection for the sake of collection. Because yeah. no one's even looking at it. Yeah. No one's... I mean, I mean, Clive Owen comments on that, of like, why even collecting in 100 years? Yeah. No and one's going to look at it. And the son's... You know, oh, on his little fucking thing, which I mean, God, is that not every teenager on their yeah. device at the kitchen table now? Yeah. Just like, and you know, that's a surrender to nihilism as well. You know, yeah. well, what's that, the that point to of me even seems engaging? to anticipate social media? Like, yeah. this is before, well, social media's just arrived, I think, at that yeah. point, uh, when the movie's being made, yeah. but it, it, it can't foresee the impact of social media. But nonetheless, it, unless it does seem to foresee the impact of tiny little dopamine hits from fiddling with something some yeah. digital device and, 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 and medication you know the, yeah. the, not only does he say to his son have you had your pill yet he yeah. pops a pill and offers it to Clive Owen and I can only assume that that's like Soma from Brave New World yeah it's, yeah. Some, it's, it's some kind of you know sedative yeah uh, I actually think that, that I mean it's a four or five minute scene the art gallery but I think that sums up the entire that's the entire thesis of what has gone wrong with the world yeah ending with the line of like why do you do it I just don't think about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. God, is that not yeah, the is great. that not the epitaph of humanity? Mm. Yeah, I just didn't think about it. Yeah, that, it, that and the other line. It's my favorite line in the movie when they're driving along and on the radio. He's like, "And here's a classic hit from 2003, a golden era. We refuse to accept that the future was just around the corner." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. A, that's a fantastic line. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, we uh, we've touched on the casting with uh, Julianne uh, Moore's character. Uh, her character, weirdly, Julian uh, comes from the Latin meaning youthful, so I guess she kind of holds on to her morals from her youth. Uh, but uh, how shocking is the death? Because it t- because she's mm. such a big star, it really tells you literally nobody is safe in this film. Reading an academic resource on the book, which is Wikipedia, I uh, saw <laughs> that um, it's Julian in the book that has the baby. Right. So if you're a fan of the book, right, you'd be watching that, and suddenly she gets shot. Well, you, I suppose you know Keith's pregnant at that point, but you know, you're not. You're no, you absolutely don't. not. Yeah, you don't. Oh no, you don't know. You don't, don't you? know. No. Oh, right. Yeah. So, so that comes as a complete shock to you. Mm. Then you go, yeah. oh, well, I don't know where this is going now. Yeah. So, yeah, but the yes, the idea, the fact that she gets shot, and she's such a big name star. Yeah. Early on in the movie, you go, well, again, I don't know where this is going. I'm, I'm here for the ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, it's the, it's the, the right at the. It's the first time that you actually start to quite like her character because she's mm. been very, you know, militant yep. and, uh, you know, she's trying to force her ex into doing what she wants and she's very snappy. And this is kind of the first moment of, oh, there seems to be a little bit of, oh, well, she seems to be quite 
having a bit of fun, actually. Was she going to be complicit in the shooting of Clive, Clive Owen's character, um, Theo? Was she going to be complicit in that? I don't think she survived it. I don't think so, because I feel like that is... It's a bridge too far, is it? Because she's the one that tells... uh, Sorry, I've forgotten the the pregnant... The pregnant... um, Key. 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 She's the one that says to Key, don't trust anyone except for Theo. Theo, Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. Which is, you know, yeah. I, I think that she would have been, you know, escaping down that hill with them had yeah. she survived. The, uh, and you, later on you see that when they're all discussing everything and there's that uh, little kitten that's clinging to Theo, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, this is this is showing us that you, this is where you're going. <laughs> well, <laughs> you are going to be... Uh, did you? Know, I don't know if you guys noticed, but there's, that's a thread throughout the entire movie that Animals are constantly drawn yeah. towards Theo. Yeah. They, they, you know, as soon as he arrives at the farm, oh, the dogs Dog. like you. They, yeah. they hate everyone, but they like you. Yeah. There's always a kitten clawing up his leg, you know, yeah. and it's that old adage of, you know, a, a, an adult who is beloved by children and animals is an adult, you know, usually that you can trust. You know, yeah. there's something, there's some kind of purity or some kind of um, warmth there. Right. So... I wonder if that's in the book too. So he's a saintly figure in that sense. Yeah. He's called yeah, Theo. They really are. He's genuine. Yeah, he's really genuine. Yeah. And, and, you know, animals animals are... I mean, the dogs are a big theme throughout the yeah. movie. Dogs are in virtually every scene of every the film. Every scene, yeah. Which makes sense in a world with no children that everyone would have, have, have a dog. But he's yeah. constantly being asked to make rapid moral choices and he makes all the right ones. Yeah. yeah. Every step of the way, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a, an extraordinary character and performance. Um, and then the revelation that Key is pregnant in a barn surrounded by cows hooked up to machines is also a striking moment. Uh, it's uh, The moment of divinity is further built upon when Theo says, Jesus Christ, <laughs> and soon after it is referred to as a miracle. Uh, what, what do you take from that scene? That's beautiful. Yeah. It's just lovely. You know, she takes off her what has she got a dress on or something she exposes yeah. her sort of naked self her, yeah. body, her pregnant self naked pregnant self and just that tumescent tummy it just feels like hope yeah mm. doesn't it it yeah. really does it's yeah. beautiful well, there's a div- I think there's a divinity to it as well mm. you know we don't see you know it's a very sexless movie you know we don't see her you know the, the inception of the child it's just it is just there as though it is this miracle that has just kind of blossomed from nowhere and the fact the that she's in a barn thing. with cows and they're yeah. talking about cows titties yeah. uh, early on it's you know the whole business of having babies is so deeply mammalian mm. yeah um, it's uh, it's a it's a way of absolutely becoming acquainted with our animal selves mm. yeah. I mean absolutely for women who, who are doing it but uh, you know even as an observer to the the Childbirth process—it's—it's it's astonishing. Yeah. Did something change? Like, did, were you present for the birth of yeah, your children? Yeah, yeah, both did, of them. Of course, did something? Yeah. Did you feel something Absolutely. in your brain go clack yeah. clack? Oh, oh God! Many, many times, many times over, and then um, when when the kid arrives, you know, it's it's just astonishing. Hmm. Yeah, it's lovely. Hmm. Um, it's not that way for everyone. I know. Yes, yes, yes. And people go, yes, yes. It's not, and and I'm, some people have a miserable time with it. So, of course, many women suffer from I'm acknowledging all these things. Yeah. But for most, this is all true. And it's not that way for anyone. No one has a right to think they're entitled to. The, 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 this is the way it's always going to be for everyone. But for a great many people, it is true that you do get that flood of feeling. Yeah, and it's completely so. lovely. It's thrilling. It's the th- that's, that's what keeps you going, of course, hmm. through the total disruption to your life. The other the other aspect is you do have to live for a while much less selfishly than you have been living. I mean, you are running on all these biological um, prods that mm. are pushing you towards this. So you're sort of in obedience to that. Mm. But nonetheless, you, it does force you to discard a lot of the crap out of your life in some ways. Yeah. A lot of bad ideas that you have. You just realize you have to sort through what you, you, you know, the things you no longer have the time or the money mm. for. And that's an entirely good thing. Yeah. 
I don't, I've, I've obviously don't have my own children, but I was a juvenile social worker for many years and I lived with my ex and her kids for many years. And so you saw where it goes wrong, in other words. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, yeah. big time. Yeah. 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 And I don't believe that I would consider myself an adult had I not had those experiences with kids. It absolutely, obviously, it's not that biological connection of these, this is my flesh and blood, and I. You know, um, just being in the presence of kids is being great. in the presence of kids. Yeah. And, kids are and fantastic. They're, yeah, they're great, and it 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 forces you in a to into a position where you must prioritize what is actually important and get and get out of your own way. The number of times that I would go to work, and you know, as I was walking to work, my head was flap flap flapping about some garbage, you know, anxiety, hypochondria, whatever it was. But the moment I would arrive at work, there is no room for that. Shit, there's no room yeah. for it. This is the priority right now. This little thing that is basically helpless in the world and is completely reliant on me to get it through whatever I'm have to get it through. And it's um, it is profound. I I mean, we Justin and I talk a lot about our not having our own children, and um, I wonder if, in my own self if it's an act of cowardice to not have a child. Something you talked about earlier in this, you know, the nihilism of the world's ending and the world's dying and why would you want to bring a child into that? I very much fall into that headspace. Uh, But I do wonder if that's just an excuse uh, to not externalize my heart and have that, carry that fear and that worry of, you know, uh, know. the thing you love more than anything in the world. I don't know. I think we have to arrive at our own conclusions with this, our own motivations for this. I I suspect, I mean, me like anyone else, maybe just... Finding justifications post hoc to doing the thing you wanted to do anyway. Right. I mean, maybe that's it. I don't mm. know. Um, it is funny though when when our son was born. We uh, this was this was at the time when you know us and the Muslim people weren't supposed to be getting on. Right. But having a little kid. Uh, mm. Well, two things happened. When, when Joe was born, we brought him home from the hospital and our taxi driver who went to pick us up was this young Muslim guy and he was in the full gear, like the whole gear. And he was, he was sort of jumping out of his skin. He was so happy to bring, to be bringing a, a new, uh, a newborn baby with, uh, with, with his family home. Right. And he was so happy. He was really over the moon. He was really excited. And, and, um, he took all this care and he drove like 10 k's below the speed limit through <laughs> rush hour Sydney traffic to get us back home. Right. And he said, Oh, what's the boy's name? And what Kim said, he's, he's Joseph. And he was, Oh, we will call him Yusuf in my culture. Went, oh, yeah. That's great. And he was beaming and he was smiling and he was, and I said, Your kids? He said, I've got three of them. And he looked at me really sternly and he said, children are the best pleasure in life. Oh. It was beautiful. God, it was like the most perfect trip home. I feel very, I feel very emotional when I think about that now. Yeah. It was the loveliest thing to say to us. It was such a kindness of him. And then about, when Joe was about a year, a year and a half, we went to Malaysia, went to Kuala Lumpur. And, you know, if you're walking around with a kid in a, in a stroller there, other young families with kids, in their, they stop in their chat. They want mm. to chat with you. They want to talk yeah. about what it is to have kids, what they do. It's really nice. It's mm. a real a, amazing way. I didn't know it would connect so well, uh, in particularly in Kuala Lumpur with young Muslim families. They really wanted to chat about the whole business of parenthood. Yeah. So there you are, bringing East and West together. together. Yeah. Swamp Thing and Rocky. Swamp yeah. Thing and Rocky. Maybe they should hands. have a baby. <laughs> they should have a, a very... Very green, yep. leafy uh, baby that's yep. with boxing gloves. That knows how to punch. That's right. <laughs> uh, I didn't have kids because I just didn't meet the person that I wanted to have kids with. I wasn't going to, uh, ah, well, this relationship's not working. We should have a child. Mm. 
Which is the wise thing to do. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean you know, look, half, the, half, the, half, the, half the case that I had to deal with was the result of that. Yeah. You know, oh, we're, like, we're, in, save a, our relationship. Yeah, we're in a dead yeah. relationship. Let's bring a fucking consciousness onto the planet yeah. to save it. I mean, yeah. it, it's an act of profound selfishness that I can't yeah, but, you know, uh, fathom. The thing is, uncles and uncles and aunties, and, and that can be honorary uncles and aunties, can have those yeah. profound relationships with children. That's uh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. The need to spring from your loins to feed, feed no. to love a kid. That's that's um, absolutely not the case. Well, that's, I mean, that, and that's what I discovered through my own experience. Yeah. You know, I, I, the, you know, the, the moment that I realized that I loved the kid that I was living with was, uh, it was about a year into my relationship with my ex and, um, the little girl was about six or seven and we were in the surf together and out of my peripheral, I saw a guy on a boogie board coming straight for us. And it wasn't even a conscious thought. I literally just bundled the kid up in my chest. And you put and, her in the way of the surfboard. Went and, yeah. Yes, yeah, take yeah. it. <laughs> and uh, and that, that kid's dead, but thank God you're here. Thank God you're all right, though. Yeah, That's when yeah. I realised how much I love myself. Yeah, no, no I, t- I took the hit, and yeah. but it was it was yeah. a completely animal, instinctive thing. It was not a conscious... Yeah. There was no... You know, and, and I'm convinced that had it been a train or a bus, the exact same thing would have happened. And it's, I don't see that as an act of bravery or, oh, what a good person I am. I just think that you... Su- I, I never like myself more than when I'm around kids. I'm the best version of myself because, yeah. all, as I say, all the bullshit goes out of the way and you just... Oh, so one more reflection here. that During the COVID, long, long COVID lockdown we've had, one of the few signs of hope and joy I found walking the streets was somehow, I don't know where you guys, what it's like where you in your area, but in my area... Kids were getting all over our neighbourhood chalking things on the footpath, yeah. oh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. and signs with people saying, this way, turn yeah. the corner here, like yeah. helpful signs yeah. and drawings yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And you, yeah. something about lockdown drove kids like got sick of their their devices after a while Thank and yeah. went out into the streets yeah. and started transforming it. Now kids are all over my neighbourhood at the moment, you know, putting out Halloween stuff everywhere, mm. drawing things with chalk on the footpath. It's so delightful. Yeah, it's I just saw, delightful. Uh, mm. Well, I may have seen this in Balmain or close to there. Uh, uh, people had made uh, little dolls out of spoons and sporks and things like that and placed them around the tree, you know, and it's quite... Sinister. Quite sinister, (laughs) yeah. That's what I thought. So I stomped on it, went in, and uh, I told those kids I'll come back later. I I didn't tell them when. That's not me. But I'll be coming back later. That's right. Um I, the, they, they, they didn't say anything like, oh, you killed Tablespoon Justin. They didn't say things like that. wasn't an effigy of you, was no, it? No, 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 no. I didn't let them talk. That would, that would terrify right. Like, they were actually crying a lot. But I was getting angry because it made me talk louder. I think you just don't touch, never had kids. I was so tired afterwards. Don't, don't, don't ever touch Tablespoon Justin. Yeah. Might, bad things might happen to you. They know the rules. It's a voodoo doll. That's right. Yeah. It won't be. Tablespoon Justin, just leave it alone. No, no, that, sh- that shit's bullshit. That's why I stomped on it. <laughs> I have to learn. Um, I did like uh, that. Uh, one of the underrated things is Key has a good sense of humour. I like that she jokes that there was no fun- uh, no father. Um, it's a funny moment, but her child will have a lot of pressure placed on it. And as we lose touch with the world, machines to make cows milked uh, more productively, we assign supernatural meaning to events to make sense of them. And then, you know, the answer is often right in front of us. It's just she's right there, pregnant, <laughs> with all yeah, of this shit going yeah. on around her. Uh, one of the most important scenes is back at Jasper's where Sir Michael talks about Theo and says the sentence, why bother if life is going to make its own choices? Uh, and this is a movie about faith and chance. Um is he talking what? about euthanasia there, the quietus solution that's there for uh, that's that I assume is the euthanasia device. Choose your own yeah. moment. Yeah, yeah choose oh, your yeah. own moment. 
Um, and you know, but Theo does bother to save Key, doesn't he? Like he, like he, he lived a life where he, why bother if life is going to make its own choices, which is in regards to uh, their child dying from the flu of 2008. Mm. But, uh, you know, this is very much a noir film, isn't it? That he, uh, he, he pushes back against the world and then his past draws him back in. Yeah, it's, it's not a hard decision to make to set a dystopian <laughs> thriller like that in Britain too. One of my notes, oh, yeah. was, one of the first things I wrote in my notes of watching the movie is the shittiness of Britain. It's yeah. all dirt and drizzle, isn't it? And oh. it makes it look worse than it would normally is, you know, yeah. which is a hard thing to do. Yeah, it's a, it's a dirty film. Yeah. Like, Except for that one little enclave uh, near Buckingham Palace, where all the rich people have, oh, yeah. you know, their zebras, and and you know, the 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 riding of the guards is still there. This cl- right. this Not clinging the to tradition yeah. and pomp and ceremony while the world burns down. It's I mean, it's it's absurd at the best of times. I mean, I went to the change of the guards at Buckingham Palace and was hysterically laughing, just like the self importance of it all. Yeah. But you know, in this context, it's mm. even more absurd. Like, what? What really? You're yeah. dressing up in your fucking ridiculous black hats. What are you doing? Yeah. Kim noticed something. She she told me one of the devices he uses to hide intention is everything's uncomfortable. Mm. He never gets a proper pair of shoes until the end. Mm. Yeah. He gets into thongs. He's got to trudge through mud. He's yeah. hurting himself all the time. There's no comfort he, and therefore there's no rest. He, yes. uh, he gets thrown into – he's in a car that he's squished in the corner. Even in that little uh, place that they're all staying, he has to duck through mm. the uh, through the doorways, mm. um, his ears are ringing from the bomb. His ears are ringing, ringing yeah. constantly. Uh, even when he has a good, like this is one of those rare movies where a hero has a good plan. Like you know, often a hero will do something, and you're a bit like, "Geez, why didn't you think that through?" And this one, he he goes through and he takes all their keys away from their car, and then he starts. But and then the fucking car can't start. You know, <laughs> it's like even even when he's had a good plan, he's still out yeah. pushing the car himself yeah. Yeah, yeah, while yeah. everyone's racing after him. That scene, like, I know what happens in that scene, oh, and that scene makes yeah. me feel anxious. Like, just start. Just fucking start. There's, uh, there's just just briefly, the, the thing you said about Key and her humour, I think that that's... Because you said to me a couple of weeks ago when I was saying I was dreading watching this, you said, oh, it's, it's actually really funny. Yeah. And, well, it's got funny, really funny moments, yeah. But it's the funniness. It's not that like, woo-woo-woo-woo, like yeah. whack-whack. It's the, it's the funniness of just raw humanity. Yeah. Of, and, and that's, I think... That's what makes it so much more emotionally resonant. If this was just grim, 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 grim the whole way through, yeah. I think you would check out. It's those moments of light and that amazing human ability, you know, like Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, that ability to find the lightness in the most abjectly fucking horrific situations that makes it so much more real and yeah. makes you connect with these characters so and much Kay more. And herself, I mean, we've talked a lot a bit about how, you know, animals walk up to Theo like he's Francis of Assisi, but key you know no matter what she's going through mm. we never really doubt that she's strong enough do mm. we right right throughout that movie we worry more about the bloody midwife yes mm. than we do about key mm. yeah she's mm. there's some core in her there yeah she's got some some iron in her soul that woman yeah and and so that's you sort of cling to that in a way i, yeah. I find when everything else is like out of whack and it's it's again like the only thing in gravity when you don't know what's up or down really you sort of what you have theo and you have key particularly key really she's mm, the one yeah. that just seems she makes good choices all the way through yeah mm-hmm. uh, and she's strong enough for it she's strong enough to have the baby she's strong enough on the bus when she's having contractions and yeah. she uh, her water breaks she's she's amazing a wonderful yeah. character 
Yeah, oh, yeah, when, it's it's a one. Uh, yeah, what were you gonna say? Oh, when when all the bombs are going off and he asks, "How's the baby?" and she just goes, "Annoyed." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, well, they kind of bond over their humor, yeah. don't they? Look, like, so, you know, she's a bit dismissive of him. He's a bit fuck. What have I gotten myself involved in? And then, yeah. and there's another character in this we haven't talked about yet, which is Sid the fascist. Oh, sorry, Sid the fascist. Wait a second. Sid the okay, wait. To him? The, 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 Sid the fascist is. After this next question, okay, so right. th- this first question is uh, Michael Ke- uh, Michael Caine's final scenes are awful, mm. like v- very sad, shot from a distance. Uh, but he goes down with a double fart joke. So, yeah. what what joke would you tell as you're about to be shot? <laughs> I, I don't know, Justin. You I know, don't know, you know what joke it is. I know exactly what joke it is. It's a joke that you told me. I can't believe you can't remember your own joke. I don't, I don't remember jokes. What, what I'm goes, not good at jokes. This is the joke that you told right. me. What goes clip clop, clip clop, clip clop, bang bang bang, clip clop, clip clop, clip clop, an Amish drive by shooting. <laughs> you told me that joke a long time ago, and I've held on to it. That's the joke you would tell. I'm telling you, Richard. Okay, that's thank the you joke. for that. Thank you. I wouldn't tell a joke. I, I like. I often want because you wonder. You wonder how you would go down. Yeah. Like in a situation, I got hit by a car a couple of months ago, uh, and really, yeah. Did I tell you about this? No. Oh yeah, I was walking down. I was walking through the IGA car park, and a car backed into me. Oh. Uh, and my reaction involuntarily was, "Oh, for fuck's sake! For fuck's sake!" Just right. being really angry, right? Because <laughs> I'm always like, I always wonder, am I going to be that guy when I when I'm you know drowning or whatever, going like, yeah. nah. <laughs> I think I'll just go down with rage." Yeah. So yeah. I think uh, I think I would be so upset at the indignity of having someone pointing a gun at me, right? That I would kind of you know end up forcing them to shoot me by my own outrage. I'd act out the whole scene from the Marx Brothers when he's ordering food and uh, Chico and Harpo are hiding behind the door and it's uh, and two hard-boiled eggs. Uh, make that three hard-boiled eggs and then everyone ends up in the room. Anyway. If we go down together, we'll do who's on first. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That'll keep him going for a moment. All right. Sid. First sign, Sid can't be trusted. He refers to himself in the third person. Yeah. yeah. As soon as he started with that, I was like, I don't trust Sid. But Sid, Sid is fascinating. Sid is fascinating, and there are so many people like him whenever there's a, a fascist government in power. Yeah. Or a Stalinist government, whatever, when there's authoritarian government. There, there are people like him. They, the times suit them. They, yeah. they, they're, they're, I don't know if you call them psychopaths, but they're kind of numb yeah. to whatever is to the moral consequences of what it's just it is what it is yeah. um, it's what's being mandated by the authorities they must know something because they're in power I've got carved out my own little niche here yeah. and from this point of view if I play my cards right I can maybe get a bit of extra cash a bit of whiskey and, and I'll be alright yeah. the, the world is full of mm-hmm. Sid the fascists yeah. and there are so many people like him yes. Yeah. Yes. and it's a phenomenal character to have turn up when he does and be so fully realised yeah mm. and I think it's I think it's also bold uh, and you know in totally in line with this movie and the choices that it makes in uh, not because you meet a lot of people like this where you object to them as a human being and you know you don't necessarily want to spend a lot of time with them but it doesn't deny the fact that there is a slightly something charming about them Oh yeah, and and I think that's that like it's a, it's a bold choice to make this guy who is just abjectly awful. Yeah. Um. But that moment where they're getting out of the car and he's like, "Okay, sad face, sad face." It's it's yeah. hilarious, you know. Yeah. And and it's that kind of self reflexive awareness of the absurdity of the situation, but also the role. It's like he's playing a role. Yeah. And he's you know, and almost an opportunist. This this situation has come. Well, I'm not going to be one of the guy in the camp. So yeah. I guess I'll just one of the guys 
you know, corralling people into the camp. Yeah. He'll be the black marketeer, essentially, yeah. in, in hell. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but he still likes smoking weed, and he's yeah. still probably, you know, him and, I mean, he, they, I'm sure that if they had shown a scene with him and Michael Caine, it would have been hilarious. They probably got on great, oh, despite yeah. being completely ideologically opposed. And they would have been, like, it would have been some real alpha male shit. He would have been making fun of him for being a dirty hippie, mm. and he would have been calling him a fascist, yeah. and then they would have gotten super high together yeah. mm-hmm. and gone off on their way. He has a sense of humour. That's the yeah. thing that people mistake with comedy when they say someone isn't funny, and you're sitting in a venue that sees 20,000 people who are laughing. It's like, no, no, you don't find them funny. Yeah. But they have a sense of humour because everyone's laughing, and he's oh, like, he loved the footy show. <laughs> Sid would be into the footy totally. show and that's how he'd tell you yeah. well, he'd be into a Trump rally I mean yeah. one of the most horrifying things about some of those Trump rallies was people you know and I was as horrified as anyone but there were moments where he was really funny like yep. you know, like a little t- like a little turn of phrase or some timing Sid or whatever. Sid doesn't go to the Trump rally. Sid sells T-shirts outside. Of <laughs> yeah, yeah. He doesn't really care what Trump's saying, but he does know yeah. he can make a lot of money on these sweet T-shirts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the birthing scene is a breathtaking moment, uh, and also weirdly a moment of relief when I was watching it. Is this the moment that Theo really returns to the world of the living? Mm. Yes, that's a really lovely observation, and I think that's true. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I, I think. He gets a lot from that moment, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, I think because I think he's on his way back. Yeah, to living, and so once once the baby's born, and you know, and there there is this sense of relief, and he has been a part of uh, not only uh, you know the birthing process, but something that hasn't happened in the world for a long time. So there's it's, a there's a freedom in the moral responsibility he takes on. There's a yeah. freedom and and a and a joy in that burden we yeah. enough mm. and I, that constraint and I think that's also the moment where you realise that uh, he has to die at the end because he's he's now complete like he's kind of there's nowhere else for the character to kind of go he's come full circle and he's found himself again and now he can go yeah mm. I also think for, as, as an audience member that scene is you know it comes off the back of you know I want to say 15-20 minutes of probably the most harrowing part of the movie the entry into the this this camp and yeah. um and, oh yeah that is that's hard that was that's that when was, i started breaking down really bad that I was the double leg twitching yeah. while i was watching it because it's yeah. so and and yeah. so much of it's horrifying as a camera just swings past like nothing lingers and that's and that's what it is i don't know if you guys have seen a film called son of saul um it's yeah. it's set in auschwitz birkenau gas chamber and it's about a capo who, uh, you know, does the deed, right. does the deeds, pulls the bodies out of the chambers, ushers yeah. it right in. And it's a remarkable film because, it, 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 thank God, it only goes for about 90 minutes. But the entire movie is a close-up shot of this guy's head. Right. And that's it. There's no wide. There's no... There's, it's just his face. Right. And everything that is going... The chaos and the horror of this situation is just implied with peripheral stuff. Right. And it is so much more horrifying and harrowing than if they were showing the stuff because, you know, it's it's that whole effect that your imagination is putting all the pieces together. And I think this entry into this camp and just flashing out the window, I mean, just the way that that, um, the the midwife is dispatched. Yeah. You know, Mm. she's just taken off the bus, black bag on the head. Bye, that's it, you're gone. That's it. Gone. 
you know, are you dead? Are you? What, we just got to know her as well. Like we her. just got to know what she had done previously before the world had come to an end, and yeah. and then you know because she's a bit prickly as well yeah. with Theo, and it's like, oh, we finally get to know her, and then then gone. Go That's on. it. That's the world we live in. It's the abruptness and the savagery of it, and you know, uh, for me, I, for me, this time I couldn't not think about a lot of stuff that my family went through in the Second World War, and just that kind of, um, you know. You're on this ride, and you have no control. Yeah, there is there, you know, and it's and it, a lot of a lot of the survival comes down to dumb luck. It doesn't come down to bravery or good choices. It comes down to the guy got on the bus and took her instead of him. Yeah, and you know, had had he chosen Clive Owen, yeah, instead of you know the 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 midwife, the, the entire movie would have gone down a very different path. Right. Um. You know, it's it's um. Well, even it's even very when, difficult to watch. Even when the the fishers come in and you know they take a key off in another direction, all of that mm. ends up working in the favour. Not that you know it at the time, but. Mm. Uh, yeah, all of that is... Uh, that movie sounds like fun. I've been feeling pretty good about myself, so I need to even shit out, so I might watch it later tonight. Fun, fun fact, I went and saw that movie with my mum, and, uh, you know, we spent the hour and a half just, you know, weeping and yeah. all the rest. And then uh, the movie ends, it fades to black, there was a beat of silence, a beat of silence, and a woman behind us goes, Oh, that didn't have a very happy ending, did it? Wow. <laughs> well... Disappointing for her. Yeah. Don't buy a ticket to the Auschwitz Birkenau movie if you want a happy ending, folks. Yeah, uh, the, I've got here. You know, we've kind of already talked about it, but the baby, uh, the moment when everyone realizes there is a baby present, is beautiful. And then it soon returns to the fighting, <sighs> and that's just a perfect metaphor for the human race, isn't it? It's just such a. It, it is quite a, a religious moment, isn't it? And then uh, it doesn't take long for everything to fall apart again yeah I, I suppose that's that's where in a way the movie is at its most uh, obvious yeah I think maybe a little too obvious at that point but it's kind of it's an amusing moment but uh, and it makes it makes the point it's point even if it does hit you over the head with it at that point. yeah I think it's kind of funny though as yeah, well it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah I think there's a dark sense of humor yeah. involved in it it's even even uh, Edgefors, uh you know like he's as you said before he's kind of got the bloodlust and he's also being emotional, <laughs> saying all these yeah. really nice things, and then better shoot these guys down here and uh, all of that. I hated him being a bad guy. I don't know why. Oh, yeah, because you like him as an actor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Also, yeah, he's charming and smart. And, yeah. And you want him to be a protagonist and solve problems rather yeah. than create them. Yeah. It's like, it's like what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He's, it, it, it's kind of funny having him in that uh, position. Um, whereas some of the others were just like, no, I don't like them at all. Yeah, but, the, dreadlocked, uh, the dreadlocked dude. Oh, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to him in a sec. Um, the uh, one last... Oh, did you notice the artwork in the uh, where the boat is stored? All the kind of cave yes. artwork? Such yep. a... The, ha- the, the handprints yeah. and also an aeroplane, very much like yeah. Mad Max 3 yes, yeah. on the Thunderdome. Yeah, the mythologizing of a, of a, of a lost uh, civilization. Yeah. yeah. Um, we only have uh, one more question, then a couple more segments just to finish up. Uh, I found the moment where Theo teaches the young mum the very simple act of helping her baby pass wind to be quite touching, and it appears that Theo dies just before the boat tomorrow and the metaphor can arrive. Uh, was there any way that Theo could have made uh, a life in, in the new world? No. Yes. Okay. Yeah, who, sure. Who goes first? Well, I, I, like I say, right throughout the whole movie, he's confronted with 
incredibly diff- difficult moral choices, and right. he, he very quickly makes them. Yeah. And 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 of course, it's in defence of, particularly in defence of Key. Although, yeah, no, he starts he starts he starts really making the brave call as soon as he knows that Key is pregnant. Really, right. although he's been pretty good all the way around, uh, uh, all the way through the movie. He, he's got the kind of courage and um, intelligence and physicalities to survive. I think right. so. Yeah. And why don't you think... I, th- I think that he's the last representative of an old way of being. And I think that he's the midwife that delivers key to the tomorrow, which is the new the new mode of existing as human beings on this earth. And I think it's very telling that it's a boat. It's unmoored. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it has no roots. It has no grounding. It's free to go where it likes. You know, yeah. as a metaphor, I think that's perfect. I think he has to die. I think they all have to die. Not literally, right? But, you know, so he's like, as you say, the midwife who's yeah, I think he's, is, is charged with um, carrying the this the, the new person, the new kind of person into yeah, a new, a new way of into a safe place into yeah. the world of, of of like the the old way has it has reached peak toxicity. Where all we're doing is you know, killing, and, and I agree that that moment of you know the reverence for the baby, and then suddenly is maybe a bit ham-fisted. But so he's I think like it, a bit. He's a bit like the best of the old world that's yeah, that's dying. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, and and and, and that, it's no indictment on him, but I think it's it's the closing of a chapter, and now you know, and and I think I don't think it's a um, a coincidence that that whole city gets just yeah. vaporized. They're all they all have to go. Yeah, you know, uh, as as a mode of existing. You know, not as individuals, yeah. but just, you know, this, this, this life as war and life as clawing for survival. And, you know, I mean, and, and there's good within it, of course, as there is in our society. But, you know, you look at our society as it currently is at the moment, and it needs to die, in a sense. This kind of late stage capitalism, everyone just, you know, <laughs> defining themselves by their Amazon wish list and the things they consume and, you know, selfies in front of paintings instead of engaging with the thing and talking to each other on phones and not actually talking. It's, it, it needs to go. Yeah. And there needs to be a, a reintegration with nature and a reintegration with ourselves and all the rest. And I think that that's why he needs to go as well. And these people on the boat need to bring about a new future. Does he definitely die? Yeah, yeah, he flops over, doesn't he? Yeah, he might be having a little nap. Um, <laughs> all right, a few more segments to finish this up. Uh, who and how? Which character do you think you would be and how would you react in their place? I'll give you uh, one to start off with. I'd be the old lady Marika who beats up Sid and helps him find the boat <laughs> while holding a dog. Oh, I wanted Marika. No, how got him first. You, sir? Got him first. <laughs> I fucking put it down. I was sitting there going... Nice one, Marika. She was one of my favourite characters. I'd be Sid the fascist, but I'd have a heart of gold. Under <laughs> really? Gold. Yeah. Fascist with a heart of gold. Oh yeah. You'd be. You'd be. I still have the nice stick. Yeah. But I wouldn't you, use it. You'd still talk about yourself in the third person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You'd still be because I wouldn't be Sid. I'd be me as yeah, Sid. Right. So I, that that would explain why I'm talking about myself in the third person. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'd secretly be Richard all along. Yeah. Right. You'd use the night stick, but you'd put a little foam thing on the end of it. Yeah. And it'd be more to like scratch the back. What about you, Ben? Uh, oh, look, I, you know you know that I, in this uh, segment, I never cast myself as the protagonist. Yeah. Uh, I'm always the guy that would kill himself in the, when things get too rough. But I did relate to Theo yeah. in a metaphorical sense, yeah, yeah. Of, uh, especially at my old job. I really uh, resonated with that feeling of kind of grim, dark sense of humor in the face of just awful yeah. shit. Uh, and that sense of kind of duty and responsibility, even though it's not directly my 
shit to carry. Yeah. Uh, hence why I burnt out and had to leave the job after right. a while. But, is, um, is it unethical yeah. to want to be Danny Houston's character living in a beautiful condominium with beautiful red wine and art if everywhere? You can, if you can do with that shithead son of yours, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's good. He's, he's keeping to himself. Yeah, he's got his little device, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, you don't have to worry. You can, yeah. you can enjoy all the artwork. It's yeah, he's taking mornings with a grunt at you. you know? Yeah. Um, with teenagers, I know what that's like already. So. Oh, yeah, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, New segment, uh, Zero Charisma. This is inspired by, in E.T., uh, young Elliot tells one of the other kids that he's got zero charisma and it made us laugh a lot. Good insult. Uh, so, Zero Charisma, which character do you hate and you're happy to see dead? Oh, Blonde guy yeah, with the dreadlocks. Dreadlock yeah, guy. I was fucking with rap. the dreadlocks. Yeah. And this is really bad. I never liked the midwife. Oh, oh really? Yeah. She was a bit of an annoying new ager. Yeah, right. You know, like the Reiki? On the dead body? I didn't like any of that. You didn't no. like the feng shui? I'm yeah. saying I needed her to die, and I really admire the way she yeah. put herself forward instead of key, but um, yeah. unless she was a really annoying person. I thought that was part of the <laughs> one of the reasons that makes that action scene so amazing, because she's got yeah. new age bullshit in her head when poor old Clive is running around trying to... <laughs> Just keep keep everyone... Yeah. Keep, the, keep the whole show on the road, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh Better or worse? This is where we ruin or improve the movie with one decision. Um, uh, I'd make Theo more of an action hero where he's just fighting assholes left, right and centre, which means the ending would have him standing on the boat holding the baby while the mother looks up at him adoringly. <laughs> like it was Washington about him. crossing yeah, the Delaware yeah, yeah. It was about him all along. It was all about him. Right. The, the whole he's time. the figure of hope. Yeah, yeah. Not the baby, not key. Right. Yeah, yeah. A white man. Yeah. Mm. Is there any other ways you would like to ruin it? I have a runner-up if no one else has For anything. For me, it would be uh, what we talked about earlier of bringing the background into the foreground. I yeah. think the most successful part of this movie for me is the implication of where the world's gone. Right. And I think having some kind of, you know how they've got a lot of zombie movies or whatever, the yeah. first five minutes is like a montage of news reports. Oh, yeah. The yeah. year is 1993. Yeah. And then it's like, uh, just yeah. to kind of have it, you know, um, it makes it feel real. I Yeah. It really, I mean, this really, of all the ones we've, and we've watched a, a, some pretty far out ones, so yeah. not that I'm aiming for, for realism, but this one, it felt yeah. like, a membrane away from where we are. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. it really it didn't feel like too long a bow. Well, here's the other way I would ruin this film for everyone. When Key gets on the boat, there's a millionaire and his wife, a movie star, <laughs> a professor, and Marianne, Gilligan and the Skipper too, right. and you suddenly realise... Yeah. Not only that they're about to be stranded on an island, but Children of Men is a gritty prequel <laughs> right. to the whole Gilligan's right. Island. But the good thing is, is that Key's child is going to meet the Harlem Globetrotters at some point. So that's <laughs> no, no, because it never appears in the TV series and it's never spoken of. So the then Harlem we Globetrotters. Do... No, no, no. The, the baby and King never appear in Gilligan's Island. Oh well, then something so bad something must happen went, to them. Something bad must have. Oh happened. well, this is a reboot. It was supposed to be a three-hour tour, Justin. <laughs> yeah, right. No, three-hour tour. <laughs> Fuck, this is a disaster. <laughs> but it'd be the thing that we must have. They, they murdered the baby and ate yeah. it or something. Oh, yeah. And, and the, professor, the professor did it. Yeah. And he said, we must never speak of this again. Yeah. Yeah. We will all Food pretend. Yeah. We will always remember this night as the last night that we yeah. ate chicken. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Veal. Yeah. Veal. Whatever. Long pork. Long pork. Long. Uh, segment, uh, the Goldilocks ratings. Hang on. Hang on I, haven't, I haven't given my... Oh, sorry. Oh, do you have one? Oh, yeah, yeah, sure I I yes, well, ruin I mean, it. One way is they have the baby die, of course. That would have, that would have ruined. But oh, that, that Jesus, would have just been the destruction be, of... Oh. That would have been awful. And I was waiting for that... 
to happen. But the other oh. way to ruin it would have been to have had a, a holy miracle, like having the baby talk and say something like, point at Clive Owen and go, here's the Queen's Touch Hatterack or something like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we just talked about June. Oh, man, that would be amazing. That would something. Yeah. 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 Yeah, just an articulate baby. Yeah. Fuck, that would be the yeah. greatest. Who's um, a Benny Gesserit? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think another way to ruin the movie would have been to have a definitive ending. Right. To, you know, whatever that definitive ending is, you know, six months later. After what, credit scene. After, yeah. On the island. Or even seeing her get lifted into the boat. Just yeah. having the, the, the headlights of the boat coming yeah. forward. And, yeah. and, I, and I read an interview with Quaron, uh, and he said, you know, that ending. He's like, if you're a pessimist, you see that as a negative ending. And if you're an optimist, you see that yeah. as an optimistic ending. So, yeah. so you could have had a Shawshank Redemption type ending where they're all on a boat in yeah. warmer weather, yeah. somewhere in the Azores or somewhere yeah. like that. Yeah. And yeah. they're fishing by the beach. And he goes, yeah. it's, life's, it, it's, a, it's difficult, but it's a good life. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it would have been good if Morgan Freeman and Tim Robbins were on Marianne the boat. Freeman. Leaning over. <laughs> uh, so the... Uh, the segment, the Goldilocks rating, is this movie optimistic, pessimistic, or just right? For me, I think it's optimistic in the end. You have the Sanskrit writing uh, at the, with the final credits of uh, Shanti, 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 which uh, translates to inner peace. Of course, this is while Jarvis Cocker sings Cunts are still running the world, uh, which also... Sh- Shanti, has Shanti, Shanti is also the fast, last line of the Wasteland by Wasteland, T.S. Yeah, yeah. And which is a bleak and... Mm-hmm. Deeply pessimistic work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so there is that. Yeah. I don't know if that's in the book or not, but um, it, I would. I wouldn't be surprised if it was. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that was just added by Curant, like her. But um, mm. uh, I, think, so- I think the movie is realistic, like so, just right. Yeah. And then I think I, I wouldn't call the ending optimistic. I would call it. Uh, sliver of like not a you know like hope against hope. Yeah. You know, like that, 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 that shining light that has kept humanity going yeah. forever, you know, where it's like, maybe we'll be okay. And I think that that is really brought home by the song at the end yeah. and the fact that there's children laughing yeah. and I don't, I don't carrying know. on yeah. through Th- the Does that even work, putting that template, optimism versus pessimism? These are both temperaments. They're not... It's oh, yeah, it can the, be. Like, it can be just... I it can be right I, in the middle. Well, I don't even know... If- if it's a way of even describing a movie like this, it seems an odd thing to do. It's just like, well, it was was P. D. James being optimistic, or uh, in an opt- was well, she of an optimistic temperament when she wrote it, or a pessimistic frame of mind? Um, I don't no, know. it's just how you feel. How or how would the how yeah? You feel how do you feel about it? Like I feel trouble. like I, I feel at the end trouble. I feel trouble relatively pes- pessimistic. I'm not persuaded by. Um, that that's the way the world is going to be for sure. It's you, you, I think you're supposed to be unsettled and troubled by it. Right. That's that's what you're supposed to be, I think. I get to the end and feel mildly optimistic that things are going to improve. Yeah, how, how did you feel about that last shot? Like, do you... It's a thin sliver of hope. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Whether I... That makes me optimistic. That seems like... Uh, that seems to be like the right question to ask. Sorry, that's a bit, bit of a noisy Well, noise. I'll go back through and take out all of that segment <laughs> yeah. from all the previous it's ones like, as well, mate. No worries. Fucking hell. Rocky, I don't yeah. fucking turn up to inside conversations and fucking tell you which uh, segments to have. And it would be Rocky. Yeah, see, better music. Like, fucking hell. Um, all right, we've got some squid bits for you. Dylan right. is a Welsh name that means son of the sea or born from the ocean, which seems apt considering where we discover her name. Is there a kind of link there to birds like fish fingers? As in, I'll sing you a song, a song of the sea, birds yeah. like fish fingers? Yeah, that's it. Right. Uh, and that's where the name Dylan comes from. That's oh. from that advert. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Picasso's 
is it Guernica? Guernica. 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 Uh, which we see in the dinner scene is a large 1937 oil painting and is regarded by many art critics as the most moving and powerful anti-war painting in history. I left out the T and I have put painting, which seems also right for mm. this film. Um, Shows up in The Invisibles. Uh, it Remember does that. Yeah. Uh, the painting is based on the events of April 27, 1937, when Hitler's powerful German Air Force, acting in support of Franco, bombed the village of Guernica in northern Spain, a city of no strategic military value. It was history's first aerial saturation bombing of a civilian population. Have you said you've seen it? Yeah. Yeah, where did you yeah. see it? I see it at the Museum uh, Tyson Bonamista in, in Madrid. I don't know if it's still there. I sh- assume it is. Right. Um, well, yeah, that's where they save it from in the... Movie, oh, really? right? Like they, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they say that Madrid was bombed and they managed to get that out. The Garden of Unearthly Delights by Hieronymus Bosch is in that, you know, across the road in uh, the wow. Prado in right. Madrid. Um, and I've wanted to see that painting all my life. And the one time I got to Madrid, oh, that's out on tour. You mean it's out on tour? <laughs> what? what? Like, what, 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 what is this painting? The fucking Rolling Stones? Like, what's happening here? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Was it, was it like, was it. Uh, Looking at Guernica, it's amazing. But I, I have, I have, I have kind of complicated feelings about that painting because, because I was a terrible human being by and large. Mm. Oh, I, yeah. I think there's something. I've a seen bit, that. Yeah, yeah, you've seen that. Um, I, th- I, I kind of like Picasso's paintings that are more an acknowledgement of what a. A terrible person he is in a right. way, or or the the kind of complex and unworthy emotions, as well as uh, a, a kind of a sense of beauty, a kind of political protest. There's always something that's a tiny bit kitsch, I think, in any kind of politicised form of art that right. wants to persuade you of an argument, mm. right. even if the argument's a, 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 a completely compelling one. Mm-hmm. Although, having said that, his response to it is very humanistic, rather than necessarily like this is the, these are the fruits of fascism. Right. Uh, but um, you, but also as you watch it, you go. Oh, this is so well arranged. This is so amazingly composed. There's all these new things in it. The way, uh, you know, the horse has been killed, the horse, the neck that's mm. cranes, cranes up, the woman whose head's rearing up and is crying out in pain. The way it's, and, and the broken overhead light, right. the way it sort of goes between interior and exterior, it's, it's, you can see it's a work of genius. There's no yeah. doubt about it. And it's in all its extraordinary composition. Um, yeah. What does it mean to make Did it- some, Thing that's so beautifully composed that's about horror. It's interesting, right. isn't it? Yeah. It's an interesting kind of conundrum, I suppose, and it's one of those amazing paradoxes you have when it comes to creating any work of art, I suppose, that's about horror. I Real feel, horror. Yeah, I feel that about the book um, Blood Meridian. Oh, yeah, uh, it's an amazing book. It is just... It's top three... I, I mean, I've, I, I adore that book. Yeah. And it is just a litany of the most horrific mm. shit ever. Uh, scalpings and beheadings and massacres. It's. Have you ever read it, Justin? Uh, no, I've only ever read. Uh, no, I've, what have I read? I've read The Road right. and No Country for Old Men. Oh, okay, yeah. So yeah. Uh, th- th- there is more pared back stuff. Um, yeah. Blood Meridian. There's these you know two page long sentences just describing landscapes and and it's basically an unsentimental western. It's the west right. as it was. Right. There's, uh, a kind of an, there's a kind of antichrist or a devil in it. Yeah, so. the judge. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, and it is. It's the most beautiful writing I've ever read about the most horrible shit yeah. you've ever read about. Yeah. Story moment where they make gunpowder out of piss. Yeah, which right. is from yeah. Paradise Lost. Right. That's a, oh, that's, right. that's a reference to Paradise Lost when Satan taught humanity how to make gunpowder. Right. The, the judge is based on Satan from Paradise Lost. Right. Um, okay. And, then, and also um, Ahab from Moby Dick. So there's right. this 
through line of Paradise Lost, Moby Dick, Blood Meridian. Right. Three brilliant books. Extraordinary books. Right. Yeah. Uh, there is an irony when Theo asks his cousin about what will happen when everyone dies, referring to how the art will mean nothing. Uh, behind us is Guernica and the statue of David. In front of us, a floating pig. In the end, none of it will mean anything other than the value we project onto it. Of course, Theo's cousin doesn't think about it. I would suggest he doesn't think about what the art means while he eats dinner either. Uh, mm-hmm. The statue of David is considered the symbol of Florence. The symbolism of David represent power to the city. He stands triumphant, ready to fight. He also represents the unwavering courage, unexpected strength and historic perseverance that the people of Florence saw in themselves. So it is ironic that David is not complete. Uh, Director Alfonso Cuaron Cuaron, uh, rejected the original art department's concept drawings from other sci-fi movies they'd worked on. He had in mind a film that was more reminiscent of war-torn and refugee countries like Iraq, Somalia, Sri Lanka, and Northern Ireland, Mm. and the nuclear disaster site at uh, Chernobyl. Clive Owen nearly starred in Blood Diamond, but chose Children of Men mainly because he wanted to work with uh, Curon. Uh, Michael Caine based Jasper on John Lennon, uh, who <laughs> Sir Michael was good friends with uh, They in the 60s. They came to prominence around the same time. Can you imagine how much fun it would have been back in the day going out for a night around Swing in London with Michael Caine and John Lennon? Yeah, and, the, and they're bonding over their working class upbringing and their shared sense of humour. And it would have been a scorcher, like a scorcher of Amazing. a night. Like... It might be in one of my top three things of you could go back in time to do something. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you want to see Christ Lennon, Do you yeah. want to see dinosaurs? No, I want to go out on the piss with Michael Caine That's and right. John Lennon. Let's, at, go, so, let's go upstairs to the Colony Club and get pissed with Francis Bacon. Let's yeah. do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. Uh, but I, you know, when you hear something after you've watched it and then you go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah he was too. Yeah. Uh, the name Jasper is a Persian name that means treasurer, but in spiritual terms, it is suggested that it brings inner peace. Uh, mm. The production team created every single newspaper in the scene that introduces Julianne Moore and had to base them on stories that may have happened in the years leading up to the events of the film. They include terrorist attacks, uh, refugee crisis, and lots of... <laughs> may infertility. have happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the... Okay, so this is uh, something Scott that... Morrison I- shifts on climate change yeah, that's what's <laughs> oh yeah there it is just in the little corner yeah, and in a, in a tiny font um one of the long takes happened because nobody heard uh, Curon say cut and it was the final scene in the refugee camp no. yep they were losing time to shoot the scene so they were because it took days to set it up <gasps> really and uh when they uh, sorry is what, this really true yeah that's and incredible. when they when they arrive at the bus the camera goes in and splatters with blood and mm. Huron couldn't see anything so he yelled cut but as he yelled cut an explosion muffled his call so they kept going and now he's like well fuck now we have to roll to the end there's nothing we can do about it so he tried to tell the director of photography Emmanuel Lubetsky that the scene didn't work because of the blood and Emmanuel said you stupid that was a miracle <laughs> <laughs> How much of art is a, is created by a, a happy accident that someone has got enough sense to keep? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 definitely. You and I were discussing this the other night where I was saying, from a personal point of view, one of the things that I don't enjoy about stand-up anymore is that it's so ubiquitous that people who have never done stand-up before kind of know the things that you mm-hmm. have to do. Like, you walk on stage, you thank the MC, you take the mic out of the stand, you put the stand to the side. But what that also means is... Where's the funny thing that occurs because 
you forgot to do that or didn't know to do that or where's the, and yeah, Stuff I'm a big believer in the mistakes yeah. that happen are often what makes something great. Well, our, big, our director that we're discussing in the other feed, David Lynch, like that's his big thing. You know, it's all about happy yeah. accidents. Well, there's, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll get to it in the, because uh, we're, we're close to doing the Twin Peaks, Twin Peaks yeah. but there's that great scene where one of the globes in in the light yeah. wasn't working, so he just kept it. So it's flashing on and off. He just liked the look of it. Yeah. And there's this great moment where you've got Dale and Harry, and there's the the, the orderly there, yeah. and and Dale says, "Oh, can can you leave?" And the actor misheard him, and he thought he asked for his name, so he said something like, "Oh, Robert," and you see, Dale, you know, just go. Yes, thank you. Uh, can you leave? And the guy goes, "Oh, yeah, okay." And that's that wasn't meant to be in, but it's yeah. such a great moment yeah, 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 yeah. in the. Well, in the and, and, of, and of course, the classic one of like Bob. Have you ever seen Twin Peaks? No. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so Bob wasn't. Yeah. He was just the stagehand. He yeah, wasn't he was, supposed to be the villain of the piece at all. He was right. in the shot, and he was just in the shot accidentally in the mirror, and they went, "Oh my god!" And he becomes yeah. the the villain of the entire piece. Yeah. David Lynch is really, he believes in you all You mean that, that scene where he's crouching behind the yeah, bed? That's yeah, that's an accident. Yeah, it's an accident. Which is the creepiest yeah, yeah, yeah. moment in the whole series. Yeah, they saw him yeah. crouching there and he's like, Bob, stay right there. Yeah. He's like, turn the camera so on. So the woman's reviewing her memories, which yeah. is, who's, who's playing her movies back like it's a videotape, yeah. which is yeah. something we don't do and can't do. Yeah. And in fact, she can, the, the whole scene is set in a room and she pans around and goes, oh, that was yeah. there in the corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah, brilliant. it was a happy accident. Yeah. Right. And so the entire course of the series would have been completely different had yeah. the set dresser not been crouching at the bed holding the bars yeah. so, so you're telling me that whole scene that single shot so I, is, is I, that thing I was saying that he built this whole new aesthetic of, of violence and action movies was completely an accident so he was he was going to shoot that as a long scene but it's all but, chopped up but, oh, but, but, the, blood, but, but right. the once the blood blew on the camera he couldn't see anything on his little monitor and he was like oh well this is fucked and he yells cut and, right. but everything but it always in, was going to be a, a single shot it was going to right, be but okay. everything's set into right. motion right so bombs go so off. everything's going off and Guns. like he, he can't stop it and then he gets to the end and he's like ah, this is a disaster and then he's got <laughs> you stupid that was a miracle <laughs> so it's like the moment at the start of the party with Peter Sellers where um, they're about to shoot a scene and he puts his foot on the explosive plunger to tie his shoes and uh, the bombs go off before the cameras are rolling right right yeah kind of sort of not really but yeah. anyway yeah. yeah so uh Great stuff. Uh, the child birthing scene was an improvised one-shot take. It wasn't until they arrived at the set to shoot the scene that it was decided to be done as a one-shot. Uh, so that was all. He just quickest, came in. Quickest birth in history, right? Yeah. It's about three minutes. Yeah. yeah. It's like my friend's uh, second baby. Uh, the, his wife's water broke. He called the ambulance. And when the ambulance arrived, he said, meet my second child. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Just to be sure, Key wasn't really pregnant. That's a prosthetic belly. Yeah. So yeah. it was a combination of a doll and CGI tracking to right. make that all work. Yeah. Uh, Banksy almost provided artwork for the movie. Uh, Curon contacted Banksy through his manager. They met for coffee, though it was weird because the manager sat behind Banksy and asked all the questions. <laughs> Banksy didn't sign up for the project, <laughs> but he did allow one of his existing murals yeah. to be used in the background of a scene, which is a preserved piece in the Ministry of Art that Theo visits. The two cops making out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Curon didn't want to dictate how the audience should feel at the end of the film. If you're a hopeful person, you'll see hope, but if you're bleak, you'll see a complete hopelessness at at the end, uh, like Virgil's Aeneid, uh, Dante's Divine Comedy, and Chaucer's, Chaucer's uh, Canterbury Tales, the crux of the journey is what is uncovered along the path rather than the destination. Mm-hmm. Theo's journey mirrors his personal quest for self-awareness, a journey from despair to hope. 
Uh, two more. The title of the book is derived from a passage of scripture in the Bible, Psalm 90. Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, return ye children of men. And P.D. James saw her book as a Christian fable, while Curon saw it as a look at Christianity. He said, I don't want to shy away from the spiritual archetypes, but I wasn't interested with dogma. Um, So we normally sum up uh, how the what the film means to you. Richard, would you like to sum it up? Uh, um, oh, that's really hard, isn't it? I haven't even thought, thought of that. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, uh, so I, to sum up, well, it's, it's an, a profoundly unsettling film. I yeah. think, like I said, it unsettled me um, and elated me, weirdly. Um, yeah. I felt enthralled by its... Uh, its message, its um, its technical skill, the power of its acting, the momentum of it all, the, the also the sheer pleasure, like I said, of being in the thrall of a master f- filmmaker and storyteller yeah. like that, mm. uh, that was making a difficult film with Christian themes that are sort of on the side of it, rather, well, they're sort of at the centre, but don't sort of name themselves at, yeah. in, in any way. Um, yeah, I suppose ultimately it's really a profound portrait of what we are as human beings, yep. what we're capable of for good and for for, for ill. Yep. Mm. Uh, mm. F- ben? Um, I think for me it, uh, it definitely reflects uh, a lot of kind of how I navigate the world. I think uh, we've talked about this a lot, Justin, where people that don't know me very well think that I'm very negative or pessimistic and everything. And I think this movie really articulates that feeling of... Uh, accepting the reality of how awful things are, but still moving towards that kind of that hope and that light yeah. as hard as it can be. Yeah. But, you know, um, maintaining it, you know, and uh, I realize again, to go back to kids, you know, I, I, cause I, for a long time was like, I am a really pessimistic and negative person. I don't have any hope for the future. And then I realized after a few years of working with kids, it's like, well, that can't be true. Cause yeah. you're not standing in the playground like Sarah Connor, you know, with the new going off. Like, ah! Like, yeah, yeah. Like clearly, you have a vision of a future. Otherwise, yeah. you, you wouldn't be able to do this job. So, uh, you know, again, linking, feeling that kind of resonance. Well, maybe with there's the, that, that theme about the pursuit of some kind of narrow thread of hope, even when yeah. things seem hopeless. Yeah, that's something that it's like the stories you hear about people who have been caged in detention uh, on Menace Island or Christmas Island. For, for all the hell they go through, they still, apparently, this is what I hear, they still often have this expectation that justice will arrive at some yeah. point. Despite what happens, whether it's, you know, Beruz Bichani and people like that, they, they for, despite everything they've been through, despite the, the, the worst of humanity they've seen, they still have an expectation of, of justice coming to them at some point. Yeah. That, that good thing, a good thing will happen to them as a good person at some point. Yeah. Well, the, the um, you know, in, in Man's Search for Meaning, the Viktor Frankl book about the Holocaust, you know, he talks about, you know, uh, surviving Auschwitz. It wasn't, you know, uh, for him, it didn't come down to, oh, I don't have this meal or I don't have this thing. It was a reason to keep going. If you don't have the reason to live, that's when you curl yeah. up and die. Yeah. Uh, whether it was, you know, I, when I get out of here, I will try and find my wife or I will finish the book that I always want to, you know. And my grandfather, when he was still alive, spoke of a very similar thing. You know, his entire family was murdered, yeah. you know, and how do you... And when I came to realize that at, at 13 or 14, it was like, how did, like, you know, how did you not just give up? Yeah. You know, and we had these profound conversations about, you know, there is just that, there is that light 
as dim as it can be, that you keep moving towards in spite of everything, and there, you have there, to. There is this there is this body of letters that was found uh, in the Warsaw Ghetto at the end of World War Two, which were letters that were sent to the rabbi by by the uh, inmates. I suppose that's the word of the Warsaw Ghetto. You have this idea. There's, an, there's a it's a false idea that when things are incredibly bad all morality goes out the window. And in fact, it's just the opposite. Mm. When you make people live like animals, their, their moral construction of their lives becomes more important than ever. Yep. And so there are all these letters that are written to the rabbi saying, is it acceptable to renounce our, our, our faith and, and, and sort of just cynically, you know, temporarily, not cynically, but temporarily become Christians to save our lives, if that might help? No, it's not, not acceptable to, to do that. Um, is this acceptable for this to happen? And, the, and, and the, the letters from the rabbi are so thoughtful. These letters of moral evaluation in extremis, where all that these people have in a way, they have no food anymore and really no hope, really. Hmm. They know they're all going to die. Hmm. All they have is how to carry themselves as moral people in the face of this. It's fascinating. I mean, yeah. dignity. And, you know, cl- still, yeah, still maintain some dignity. Dignity. Yeah. Um, I'd written down that, that regardless of what the world throws at you, it is important to still be engaged on your terms yes. and that the world is still worth fighting for. Yes. Um, Richard, uh, when's your next book due? Uh, it's hopefully coming out. Well, it is planned to come out uh, next Christmas, not this one, but the next. Ah, really? Yeah. Oh, I was really... Fuck. What's All right. The, what's, what are you writing about? I was really, I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> it was Good. just one of those things where it's like... I, when you said Christmas, I was like, great, that's really it's good timing. Next Christmas. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I'm still writing it. And it'll, yep. I'm going to hand in a manuscript in February. Yep. And then that has to be edited. And I'll be in Europe editing a part of that while I'm away for a month in Europe. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know all the other stuff that needs to happen. It's set to come out, well, it'll be October next year, I suppose. Yeah, great, great. Time for Christmas, yeah. Are you allowed to say what it's about? Yeah, sure. It's called The Book of Roads and Kingdoms. And it's these set of stories I've stumbled on. Well, I went looking for something, and I'm looking for something else. I found these things. These are are stories written during the golden age of Islam, Mm. uh, when Baghdad was the richest and most powerful city in the world. And we're talking like here from the 760s all the way up to the sack of the city by the Mongol hordes in mm. the 1270s. Uh, it was the capital of this unspeakably rich and glorious empire that prized learning. It had this, uh, the, the Caliph Harun al-Rashid built the House of Wisdom, which was their kind of in-house great library where advances in mathematics were pursued. They translated all the great works, Greek works on uh, philosophy and science and mathematics. There's such a love of mathematics and sacred geometry that informed all their their, their architecture and, and and their public art. And more than anything else, it seems, though, they are obsessed with geography, with travel. Yeah. So I'm thinking in the middle of COVID, I want to travel. I had another tr- book which would require some travel to do, and I couldn't do it. So I thought, well, I can't travel to medieval Baghdad because it no longer exists because it was raised <laughs> to the ground by the grandson of Genghis Khan. So um, right about this era, and I found these accounts by Muslim travelers out of Baghdad, going from Baghdad to the four corners of the earth. Baghdad was built, the original Baghdad was a purposeful capital. It was built as a walled disk city on utopian principles and had four gates on the cardinal points. So that's how I've divided it up. And some of the travelers did remarkable things. Um, my two favorite chapters are the one by a guy called Salam the Interpreter, who was entrusted to go east because the caliph of the day 
Uh, this is in 842, I think it was, 842. The Caliph had a dream that the wall of Gog and Magog had fallen down and the hordes of Gog and Magog were going to swarm across the earth and bring about the apocalypse. <laughs> so he sent out, this was commonly believed amongst Muslims, Jews and Christians at the time, that there was such a wall and there was such a people because they're mentioned in the Muslim, Jewish and Christian scriptures. Mm. So he sent this, inter- this, this traveler out with a, on an expedition to see, find the great, this wall, the great barrier in the east that they believed had been built by Alexander the Great in ancient times. Uh, this yeah. was commonly accepted at the time. Yeah. And so he goes out east, and his account sort of gets specifically geographic, then it gets very vague. And in modern times, scholars thought, oh, well, it's just a made-up story. It's a wonder tale. Because he does get to this barrier, and it is how it's described in the Quran, and he comes back and says, it's all tickety-boo, Your Majesty. Um, but now, now it's more or less accepted that he rode all the way out to the Taklamakan Desert, the far end of that in Xinjiang province, and ran into the Great Wall of China. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. It's a lovely story. Wow. And at the same time, there are stories of Chinese pilgrims going on the Silk Roads around the Taklamakan to go to India to find the uh, Buddhist sutras in their original form and translate them into Chinese. And they're all within the Taklamakan Desert. You can't get there now. But within the Taklamakan Desert, one of the most inhospitable places on earth... There are all these buried cities, sand-buried cities that mm. were once thriving Buddhist cities with temples full of art that were looted largely in the 19th century by Western explorers. And these are the men that Spielberg based Indiana Jones on. So right. it all intersects. So that's the eastern one. I've got a, And the northern story, that's the bleakest. That's the, that's the real heart of darkness story. There's a guy called Ibn Fadlan who's sent on a diplomatic mission to uh, the king of the Bulgars who lives in the Volga River in Russia. This is the year 920, I think. And he goes on a diplomatic mission up north. And this story by Ibn Fadlan, his account of it, was used by Michael Crichton in his first novel called Eaters of the Dead that was turned into that movie The 13th Warrior with Antonio Banderas. Oh, yeah, right. plays Ibn Fadlan. Yeah. They only touch on the weirdness of it very briefly, and it's such a shame. And he goes all the way north. He has this harrowing journey, nightmarish journey north up past the Caspian Sea, up into the Volga River, up into Russia. And while he's there, staying with the king, a party of Vikings arrives. Now, it's not, real, not many people really know this, but the Vikings traveled east into Russia as well as going west into Britain and Ireland and France. And they set up camp, they're Viking traders. And then the chieftain dies and they hold a funeral for him. And they ask if any of his slaves wants to volunteer to die with him. And this girl puts her hand up. And the, the story of his account of the ritualistic sacrifice of this girl is one of the most harrowing things I've ever read in my life. So there's that. I've got mm-hmm. stories of Viking travelers, uh, uh, Muslim travelers going from Baghdad to Constantinople, to Spain, right. uh, to North Africa, down the east coast of Africa, and other sailors. These yeah. are the voyages that Sinbad stories are based on, the ones who went out of the Persian Gulf uh, from Basra down through the Persian Gulf into India, down to Sri Lanka, which, which they thought was the Garden of Eden. Mm. They found a footprint there that they thought belonged to Adam. Right. And then they went through the Spice Islands where they risked getting killed and went up into China to what is now Guangzhou, uh, this thriving port city. And there are great accounts of it. They're the first foreign accounts of China that have been written and that survive mm. today. So these are great yarns, these yeah. stories. Yeah. And it all feeds into the yes, Thousand One Arabian Nights too. It all feeds into I was about those to say, yeah. like Arabian Nights. Yeah, because yeah. Harun Al Rashid, who is one of the caliphs of this time, he, he's the one who founds the, the House of Wisdom. He appears again and again in the Thousand and One Nights. They always begin with a story, and he really did do this, where he'd be sitting at night in the palace and he'd go on board, and he'd say to Jafar, his advisor, and uh, his executioner, his name I can't remember off the top of my head, and they go into the marketplace disguised as civilians and they have an adventure. Right. 
Yeah, yeah like wow. they're, they're fictional in the Thousand and One Nights, but that's the kind of guy Harun Al Rashid was. Yeah, yeah, he shows yeah. up in um in, in a chapter of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's issue yeah. fifty, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Amazing. You can see why I got really excited when he said Christmas. Uh, yeah, of course. Year. That's ah, great. Yeah. So, wow. cool. so these are rollicking narratives, but they're also, the way they often write about these foreign civilizations, they're the most sophisticated scientific and cultured empire in the world, maybe apart from the Byzantines and the Chinese and, and the Indians. But they, as they go into the world, they go, they sort of walk like Western anthropologists. They go, oh, these are amusing people over here. Look at what they're making out of hair and bone. Right. <laughs> um, they, they write a bit like that when they're going into Europe. Yeah. Like one of the travels went into Prague yeah. uh, very early, very, very early Prague. And goes, oh, it's a nice little place. It's made out of lime and stone. And there's a bathhouse there. And they do this. And they, they don't bathe much. But they do go into these, these, these what are effectively saunas. Mm. And uh, he describes that. He talks about the slave market that's there. Fascinating. Uh, and there are court ceremonials, descriptions of events where visitors are led through palace after palace in Baghdad of Astonishing wealth, mm. astonishing opulence, private zoos with elephants and big cats, uh, a palace, uh, and the Byzantines copied this. They've got a palace called the Palace of the Tree, which has a mechanical silver tree in it with singing, automated singing birds on it. Awesome. This is the year 917 that this right. is being seen in. This kind of technology is there. Didn't they have like ro- uh, robotic chess players and yeah, they robotic did musicians, they all kinds of stuff? Yeah, they did. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and where can people find your first three books? All over the place, thank God. Yep. They're all over the place. They're in Great. all fine bookshops. Yeah. First book, Ghost Empire. Second is Saga Land. I wrote with my friend Kari Gieselson. Yeah. And the third one, the most recent one, is The History of Prague. It's called The Golden Maze. They're signed copies, were there? In, uh, where did I see some signed copies? Uh, in the well, city? I've signed quite a few. Yeah. yeah. There'll probably be a few lying around in Kina Cunha. And, oh, yeah. And, uh, Might have been there as well. And maybe in Dimex yeah. as well. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, our first guest so good. on uh, so great. Space Podacy, uh, you know, comes in hot with his fucking bad Rocky takes, but otherwise... <laughs> It's been a lot of fun. Thank you to Ben and Richard for hanging out with me today. It would be good to get Richard back, right? How good is he? Uh, Look, to be honest, Ben and I were pretty giddy after he left, and... We already have a new sci-fi movie in mind. Uh, we, When I actually first asked Richard if he wanted to do this podcast, uh, we let him make uh, a decision on which movie we would cover. And he suggested two. Uh, we went with Children of Men because, funnily enough, uh, uh, Richard hadn't seen our list, but Ben and I had already decided we were going to do uh, Children of Men for this season. And when he mentioned that he would like to do that one, well... It all came together quite nicely. So we already have the next episode in mind and, uh, you know, schedules uh, permitting. I'm guessing that will be a season two edition. Uh, Also, thank you to our patron for the episode, Sarah. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast while you're out walking. I feel like uh, that's when you listen to us. That's when you listen to The Elephant Man, isn't it? So uh, hopefully this kept you company while you were getting your steps up. Uh, If you'd like to join our Patreon subscription, head over to the site and look up Justin Hamilton Big Squid and you will find a tier that suits you. If money is tight and it has been a tough couple of years or maybe you're just not quite up for committing to a subscription, but you would still like to contribute in some way, a top review on Apple Podcasts, or you know what, even just swing by the Big Squid Facebook page and say hi. Like that's fine as well. Like all of it is good. Whatever you're doing is fantastic. It all adds up in the end. 
I'll be back on Monday with Rove to discuss the penultimate episode of Doctor Who for this season. But then it is a double Ben Elwood week with our next David Lynch movie, Dune. Felt right to get that one out just with the remake looming on our horizon. And then our next Space Podacy episode is the 70s classic Silent Running. So if you haven't seen that before or you haven't seen it in a while, you've got a week to check that out. We are hurtling towards the end of the year. There is still so much to do and there are many podcasts still to come. But you know what? I'm up for it. Let's do it. I'm feeling good. Let's just... Run, run, run to New Year's Eve and then, you know, have a little nap for a couple of days and then kickstart it all again. But I'm up for it. I'm ready for the sprint to Christmas. Let's finish off today's episode with a quote from Clive Owen. Funnily enough, I actually had another quote ready to go and then I found this one and you will not be surprised when I went with this instead. And also make certain you're ready to have a drink. Clive Owen said, As a teenager, I was crazy about David Bowie. He was a huge inspiration for me. I dressed a little bit crazily in school and dyed my hair every colour under the sun. I already love Clive Owen. Oh, looks like I love him just a little bit more. Until then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.